Last week, as we continued our study of the seven churches found in the first couple of chapters of Revelation, uh, you know that we uh, began or we looked at uh, the church of Sardis last week, and I tried to point out to us that just as the Lord had done in the previous letters to the different churches, he began by saying that he knew their works, that he was aware of what was going on in their church. But rather than commending them for anything, rather than saying they were doing this right or they were doing this right or something else correct, he went straight to this thought and he went straight to this truth that while they had a name or a testimony of being alive, they were dead. And so what the Lord revealed was this, is that while the community may see a living church here and while the community may see something that is identified as a, a church that is functioning in the manner in which it is supposed to, the Lord said spiritually, you are dead and spiritually you're not alive, you're not at all what you're supposed to be. And the cause of that was found in the next couple of verses where it appears as though the problem that was uh, plaguing the church was sin that was not dealt with because the Lord said they needed to repent and they needed to uh, remember the word of God and they needed to hold fast to the word of God and make things uh, right where they still had the chance, where they still had the opportunity, uh, lest they would lose those things as well. And so last week I tried to remind us that just because a church appears to be alive in the eyes of the community does not at all mean that spiritually it's alive and what it's supposed to be. And what we have to be careful and guard against is thinking that our church is alive and spiritually in the condition that it's supposed to be in just because we have a place to assemble, just because we have ministries, just because we're engaged in activity. A church can very much look alive and yet be dead, and many times what kills a church is sin in the church that church members refuse to address and church members refuse to take care of. And so I said last week, and, and, and I can't back down from it, and I wouldn't back down from it, but I did say last week that I am concerned and I am nervous about the spiritual health of our church because it seems like in many regards and in many avenues we have sin that people just don't want to deal with. They just don't want to address. They don't want to ask God for the victory. They're not even trying to get the victory in their life. And it doesn't mean, just as we looked at last week, it doesn't mean that everyone is in that position. There are some good people whose garments have not been defiled, as it was said of the believers of Sardis. But it doesn't mean that the church is everything it's supposed to be just because we've got some good people in it. So we've got to be mindful of this. And Lord, is there sin in my life that I'm not taking care of? Is there sin in my life that I am not addressing as I should? That in mind this morning, we're going to be looking at the church of Philadelphia. Before we get there in chapter 3, verse number 7, I want us to think about something that's fairly obvious and something that you would know to be true. And that is this, many times you and I, and more times really than not, you and I can find out a lot about people just by talking to them, asking them questions, and letting them answer. You understand that to be true, right? If you want to get to know somebody, if you want to find out about their life, if you want to find out about their story, all you've got to do is talk to them and ask them questions about themselves. And more people than not don't mind talking about themselves. And so if you begin to ask them about their childhood, they're more than willing to open, about, open up about that and tell you about that. If you want to talk to them about their career, about their family, whatever it may be, so long as you will ask them questions, most people are more than happy to share with you uh, answers to what it is you're asking them about. That being said, we also know this to be true. Many times, silence speaks as loud as words. You know that to be true, correct? 
couple of weeks ago, I was doing a funeral service for a family whose wife and mother had died. And so I was visiting with the husband, I was visiting with the children, and I said to them, tell me a little bit about your wife, and to the boys, tell me a little bit about your mother. And they began sharing with me all these different thoughts and all these different truths and these different ideas about her. And, and one thing that kept coming up over and over and over again was this. She was just one of the greatest moms you could ask for. She was, she was just a fantastic mom. She was the glue to the family, etc. Well, not too long ago, I was doing a funeral for another family, obviously, and it was the, the mother-slash-wife uh, who had died. And, and I was talking to the daughter, and I said, so tell me a little bit about your mom, assuming that there would be some kind of an answer. And she said something like this, well, she really enjoyed her career. Well, what else did she like to do? Well, not a lot. Did she like to do this? Did she like to do this? Did she like to do this? Well, I, yeah, I guess she liked to do that. You know, really what mom had was a drinking problem. She's an alcoholic. And so with the silence, much was said. Unlike the family before them, there was not this statement of how good of a mother she was. There was not this statement about how good of a wife she was. There was not this statement about how involved she was in the lives of the children or the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren. It was just kind of, it was really saddened in many regards that the, the silence spoke so much more than the words could ever speak. Because what it boiled down to is she is an alcoholic who enjoyed her career until her mind was gone and then... She passed from this life. Sometimes you can tell just by watching somebody who's not really engaging in an activity. They, they don't really condone what's going on here. They're, they're, not a, a par, they're, not a, they're not approving of it, I guess is how I would say it. Their, their silence is speaking volumes about their, their feelings or their thoughts right now. We understand how this works, don't we? Sometimes the, the people speak and, and you have no question as to where they stand on a particular matter, on a particular subject, but sometimes a person is silent and that tells you everything you need to know about the situation. Now I say that this morning because of chapter 3, verse number 7. Here's what we see. It says in verse number 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and so here's what we understand that with the five other verses or the five other churches that are addressed, this church in Philadelphia is going to be addressed specifically just like the other ones were. And, and here's what's assumed. It's assumed that the Apostle Paul began this church, that he started this church in, in one of his missionary letters. But we don't know that to, to be the exact case. We don't know that to be an absolute certain truth. But, but what we do know is this, is that in this letter to this church, to these believers they will not be rebuked or condemned by God for any of their actions or any of their behavior. And so what we're not going to read in this particular letter to this particular group of believers is anything like this, that I'm going to come and remove your candlestick. We're not going to read anything like this, that, that the Lord will oppose them and that the Lord will be the one who fights against them. We're not going to read anything like this where, where the Lord says, I will judge you and I'll make it known to all people that I judge the hearts and the minds of the people. And as we'll see next week as the Laodicean believers read these words, the people of Philadelphia will not be told, I'll spew you out in my disgust for you. 
These people are going to receive some words of, of praise and they're going to receive some words of compliment. And, and, and it's kind of interesting how all this will play out. And, and I have to be honest and tell you, it was kind of a difficult passage for me this week, but I think it'll be a help to us if we think about it. I want us to jump down to verse number 8 and see something that we've seen on every other occasion in looking at the letters. It says in verse number 8, I know thy works. I know thy works. What does that simple statement remind us of? It reminds us of this truth, that God was fully aware of the spiritual condition of that church. This church, though it may be small, this church, though it may be insignificant, as we'll see in just a couple of moments, this church, wherever it was located exactly, we don't know. But regardless of where this church was located, regardless of what all this church was engaged in, God knew the works and the spiritual condition of that church. Now, I know I've said this repeatedly as we've gone throughout this series, but I want us to be reminded of this again today, and that is this. Nothing has changed by way of God's awareness of what is happening in His churches today. God is aware of what is taking place in the, in the places that identify themselves as churches. And so it doesn't matter if it's a, a church in the city or a church in the country. God is, is acutely aware and keenly aware of what is taking place in his churches today. So it's not as though somebody could say, well, the Lord doesn't even know what's happening in our church. The Lord's not even mindful of us. We're, we're not even on his radar. No, if we are a church, then God is aware of what is taking place in the life and in the church family there in that location. So if we notice in verse number 8, it says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Notice what he says next about this group of believers, this body of believers. He says, for thou hast a little strength. For thou hast a little strength. What does it mean when the Lord says of this church of Philadelphia that they have little strength? It means this. They were not a big or strong or impressive group of believers just to behold with the physical eye. I know that we can't prove this. I know that nobody can say with absolute certainty that this is how it is. But it is suggested based upon the words and based upon the research that has been done that most likely this was a smaller church, a smaller congregation made up of people who in the eyes of the world would have been insignificant by way of occupation or by way of class or by way of influence. This is not the church you would have gone to if you wanted to interview the pastor of the fastest growing church. This is not the church you would have gone to if you wanted to find out how to grow the, the fastest growing Sunday school. This is not the church you would have gone to if you wanted to find out, okay, how do you build big buildings and how do you attract the upper class and, and how do you attract the people who are influential in the city? Listen, if this church were to be visited by people today, you would not look at them and say, man, this is an impressive church. This was a church who seemingly, in the eyes of the world, was small and weak and insignificant. Nothing that would have impressed anyone, nothing that would have gotten the attention of anyone. But notice what Christ says in verse number 8 about this church. He says that while they are small or while they have little strength, he says that they had kept my word. I know thy works... And to skip down, he says, essentially this thought, you have kept my word. 
Well, what is the word a reference to? Well, it would be a reference to the word of God, I think we would agree. So what does it mean whenever the Lord says of the church of Philadelphia that this is what they have done? It, it means this, that they have kept it, that they have held or retained the word of God, that they are maintaining the word of God, and they are causing the word of God to continue. This make sense? I sense some fatigue this morning. So I want us to think about this. Here's what Christ or the Lord said to the church of Philadelphia, that you have kept the word. Though you are small, though you are weak, though you are not significant, in the eyes of the community that you are a part of, you have kept the word of God. You have held to the word of God. You have retained it. You have maintained it, and you cause it to continue. So what does that mean, and what does that imply whenever the Lord says this of the believers there in Philadelphia? Well, it essentially means this, that they were not going to let the culture dictate the message coming forth from the church. So here's what we'll see in just a couple of moments, and here's what the Scripture will allude to, is that while not as serious or while as intense as the church in Smyrna, the people of Philadelphia were not living in especially friendly times to the preaching of the Word of God. So it's not as though everyone was encouraging the believers of Philadelphia. It's not as though everyone were looking at the believers of Philadelphia and saying, you know what, I encourage them and I support them and, and my hat's off to them because they're staying faithful to the Word of God. No, there were still those who were very much in opposition to what the believers of Philadelphia were teaching and preaching and promoting and propagating. And yet here is what the Lord said, that even in the midst of the opposition and even in the midst of some persecution to some extent, you are holding on to and you are retaining and you are maintaining the word of God and you are causing it to continue that you are continuing to propagate the word of God though it's not popular with the culture that you're a part of. So that's one reason that they received some praise from the Lord rather than a rebuke. But notice what else it says in verse number 8. He says, I know thy works, that you have kept my word, but he says, and hast not denied my name. You have not denied my name. What does it mean to deny the name of God? It means this, to disown or to disavow. How many of us understand this, that whenever pressure comes, sometimes it separates the true believers from the false believers? That whenever it's not always socially popular to be a part of the Christian movement, to be a part of the, the Christian sect that still teaches and preaches the Word of God and will not allow culture to dictate what comes forth from the pulpit, whenever someone does that or whenever a church is engaged in that kind of activity, how many of us understand this morning that there are sometimes pressures from the outside that cause people to begin to waffle and to waver and to say, well, that's not really who I am or that's not really who I believe or, or something like this. That doesn't really identify me. What are they trying to do? They're trying to distance themselves from the Word of God and maybe the church stand or the position that the church takes on certain issues that could be controversial in and of themselves. So these believers, whatever the issues were, whatever the source of the persecution was, whatever it was that, that made the, the culture around them unfriendly to what it was they were teaching and preaching, the Lord was saying this, that, that you were not rejecting me, you were not denying me, you were not disowning me in a sense. No, you were staying faithful and you were standing firm and you were saying, no, this is who I am and this is what I believe and I'm not going to budge just because it's not popular with you or the society we live in. 
So what else was said? Well, if you jump down to verse number 10, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Again, according to the context, here is what is indicated in verse number 10. He says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. What does he mean when he says this? He's saying, well, you have patiently endured. You, you have endured the persecution that has come with the word. Not everyone, as I've already said, not everyone handles that quite so well. Some people don't respond to the persecution. Some people don't respond to the temptation. Some people don't respond to the pressure the way that they should. Many times it affects the attitude. Many times it affects the outlook. Many times it affects the spirit of people. And yet here are believers in Philadelphia, and they're going through some kind of a difficulty. The culture is not excited about what the church stands for and believes and teaches and preaches, and yet here they are just patiently enduring because of the Word of God that is working in their lives. So we don't know a lot about the church. We don't know a lot about the believers there in Philadelphia. But what we do know is this, is that they were little in strength. You wouldn't drive by the church and go, man, that's an impressive church. You wouldn't drive by the facilities and think, man, that's a huge crowd that meets there. No, you would drive by and you'd say, man, that is an insignificant church. That is an insignificant place. Nothing too important must be going on there. However, the Lord said, no, I know your works and you'll not be rebuked and you're not going to be condemned in any manner or in any fashion. Why? Because you have kept my word, you have not denied my name, and you have patiently endured because of the word in your life, even in the midst of suffering and even in the midst of persecution. Now, as thrilling as all this may not be right now to you, I want us to think about something. Here's what caused me some frustration as I was trying to prepare for the message this week, and that is this. If you look at what is said of the believers of Philadelphia, the same was true of other churches who did receive rebukes from the Lord. And so I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, if you were to go back to the church of Ephesus, here's what you find, that they were commended in several ways. If you go back to the church of Thyatira, they too were commended for certain things. If you go to the church of Pergamos, they were commended for different things. It's not as though these churches had everything wrong. No, if you were to go back and look at the church of Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, the only one being Sardis that had nothing positive said, if you were to go to those other three churches, here's what you would find. The Lord commended them for things like their labor, their love, their patience, their discernment. There were things about the church churches that were positive, things in which the Lord could say, you're doing this right. So if you look at the church of Philadelphia and what the Lord commends them on and does not rebuke them for, if you look at simply what the Lord commends them for and then compare it to other churches, it would appear as though they are doing nothing different than the other churches were doing. So what does that mean? Well, this is where I began to think something, and I hope that you'll understand this, this train of thought that I've got, and I hope that you can follow this. But here is what began to dawn on me. For the Church of Philadelphia, it's not so much what was said about them in comparison to the other churches, but it's what wasn't said about them 
that was said of the other churches that set them apart. You understand what I'm saying? Here's the church of Philadelphia, and they're being commended. Why? Because you've kept the word of God, and you've not denied my name, and you have patiently endured. Okay, that is exactly what was said of the churches of Ephesus, Pergamos, and Thyatira. Okay, so, so this is the same. So what then is different? All right, well, you remember what was said of the church of Ephesus, do you not? It was this, you have lost your first love. You have left your first love. So here's the problem with the people of Ephesus. Yes, they had many good things about them, but the problem was this. They were simply going through the motions, and their heart for God was not truly what was motivating them to do what it was they were doing. They were simply engaged in religious activity. You look at the church of Thyatira and you look at the churches of Pergamos and and, and what were they guilty of? It's not that they were guilty of being heretics and liars and deceivers and lazy and things of that nature, but what they were guilty of was this, tolerating false teachers in the church and not a willingness to address the false doctrine from the false teachers in the church. If you look at the church of Sardis, what do you discover? You discover this, that they refused to deal with the sin that was present in their church body. So there were people who needed to repent, and they were not going to repent. There were people who needed to make things right, and they were not going to make things right. And the Lord said, it is because of that that you are spiritually dead. You are not alive, regardless of what the testimony around you may be. And so here is the church of Philadelphia, and just from the outside looking in, it looks like you know, you're know you no different than any other church by what is said, and that's true. But what made them different is what could not be said of them. seems to indicate that what they were doing was still based out of a heart and a love for the Lord. It seems like they looked at themselves and said something like this, you know what, we may not be the biggest church, we may not be the strongest church, we, not may, we may not be the most influential church, we may not be the richest church, but, but you know what, we're not going to let down the truth of doctrine maybe give us a little bit more influence or a little bit more sway or a little bit more pull in the community that we're a part of. We're not going to change who we are to try to change our status in the community that we're a part of. And this, listen, the members there at the Church of Philadelphia, they may looked around and said, you know what, I know that we're not the biggest church. I know that we're not the strongest church, the most impressive church. But, but man, as the Word of God goes forth, here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to it. And we're going to respond. And we're going to try to make things right, what is wrong, when we're confronted by it. And we're going to try to deal with our sin so that we can live righteously before the Lord. As you look at the Church of Philadelphia, it seems as though what set them apart was the things that could not be said of them. That's important. Why? Because silence speaks volumes. And silence many times communicates much greater truths than words could communicate. And so again, the believers of Philadelphia, they're not rebuked, they're not condemned, they're not told anything bad by way of consequence or punishment or judgment that is coming. Why? Because these things that were true of the other churches obviously were not true of their church or it would have been mentioned and it would have been addressed. Did it mean the believers of Philadelphia were perfect? Did it mean that there was no sin in the church body at all? Of course not. You're still dealing with people 
but it wasn't of the same spirit or the same attitude or to the same degree that it was in other churches. Now today I want to think of something, I want you to think of some things with me, and, and, and again, I hope that this will be of some help to us, but, but I, I know that you know that there are very few strong churches from a worldly perspective still in existence today. A lot of big buildings present, but it doesn't mean that they're strong churches. Okay? A lot of big facilities that you could go to and say, wow, that's a big church, or, or man, that is a massive complex. And, and I understand that. Now, I do know this. I do know that there are still churches, and they still have the elite. I understand that there are still churches, and they have the upper class. I understand that there are still churches, and they have city officials and city leaders who are a part of them. But, but the reality is this. Most things that are identified as churches, you know what most of them are? They're not much by way of strength. And they're not much by way of appearance. They're not much that really excites or, or sparks the interest of the community around them. As I said a moment ago, let me remind us of this. It doesn't matter what the community thinks of a church, and it doesn't matter if a church is irrelevant to a community. God is still very much aware of what is happening inside that church family and inside that church body. And so this morning, here's what I'd like to propose to you, and I trust that you understand that this is true, and that is this, that our church is a location and is an assembly of believers that God is still very much aware of, and God still knows what is happening in this place. It does not matter where our location is. It does not matter where our, our, our spot is in the location of the community. It does not matter the size of our facilities, and it does not matter the, the membership of our congregation. God knows where we're at. And God knows what is happening in this church. And God knows what is taking place in this church. And as I said last week, I don't want to be a dead church. I don't want to be a church that the Lord would look at and say, though you've got a testimony or a name for being alive, you are dead. I don't want that to be a part of, I don't want that to be a part of, of what our church is identified as. But I, I'd take it a step further this morning and say this. I don't want to be a church that's rebuked by the Lord. You know, if the Lord were going to write us a church, to, uh, if the Lord were going to write us a letter today, I, I don't want the Lord to rebuke us. You'd be, uh, you'd be messed up in your thinking if it didn't concern you that there might be words of rebuke if the Lord were to write our church a letter today. Okay, so it's not that I just don't want to be a part of a dead church. I don't want to be a part of an unhealthy church. I want to be a part of a church that would receive praise and commendation and not the rebuke from the Lord, okay? So if that's what I want, then certain things need to be said of this church. And if that's what you want, then certain things need to be said of this church. So what needs to be said of the church? Well, just to look at the example from the believers of Philadelphia, I think it ought to be said that we're keeping the Word of God. Is this resonating with us at all, that, that we need to be a church 
that refuses to let the culture dictate what comes forth from this church and the pulpit and the Sunday school classes? We need to just just decide right now we're, we're not going to let the culture dictate what we teach and what we preach and what we promote and what we propagate. If we want to be a church that would not be condemned, that would not be rebuked, that would not be told this is what is going to happen to you, then we must decide we will be a church that keeps the Word of God, and we must be a church that decides no matter the consequence, we will not give in on the name of Christ, and we are going to stay faithful to Him, and we will not budge regardless of the pressure. I mean, if you want to be a part of a church that is healthy and alive and is, and is praised by the Lord, then, then you need to be able to say, listen, it's not just the position of my church that believes this, but that is my position as well. I believe that to be true, and I am in full support of what is being taught and preached at our church, and I'm not going to back down whether it makes you feel uncomfortable or not. It's not just the church's position that is my position. That is our family's position. And the reason that I go to that church is not because I agree with everything 100%, but when it comes to the teachings and the preachings of this church from the Word of God, that is what I believe. So if you think that you're going to get me to shy away from this subject or to shy away from this subject or to back down from this subject because that's not really what I want to associate with, no, I fully stand behind the truth of God's word and I fully stand behind who God is and what his word says. If we want to be a part of a healthy church, some of those things need to be said of us. And if we want to be a part of a healthy church, then here's what also needs to be said of us is that whenever the persecution or the difficulties or the trials or the struggles, whatever it may be, come our way, that we do so or that we accept them with a right attitude and a right spirit. That we keep the word of God with his patience, with his right attitude, with his right spirit. See, it's not enough to just take the criticism and to take it with a bad attitude. It's only right when we take the criticism or, the, or the, the persecution, whatever degree it may be, when we take it with the right attitude and the right spirit, when we take it in stride and just recognize, you know what, that's a part of the territory. That's what comes with being a Bible believer and being a part of a Bible-believing church and, and being a part of a church family that, that is going to teach and promote and preach the truth of God's Word. But see, in order for us to be a healthy church, in order for us to be a church that avoids the rebukes and the condemnation from the Lord, it's not just what needs to be said of us that brings it our way. It also needs to be what can't be said of us. See, if we want to be a part of a healthy church, if we want to be a part of the church that, that, that it's supposed to be, then it should not ever be able to be said of us that we've left our first love. And that we're just doing what we do because it's what we do and we're just going through the motions, but it's not really a heart for the Lord that drives us to do the things we do. 
See, in order for the church to be healthy, in order for the church to be alive, in order for the church to be everything that we're supposed to be, then what motivates us to do what we do needs to be our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that he has done for us. And so many times, whether we want to remember this or not and agree with this or not, so many times people are guilty of just going through religious motions, just going through the religious activities because it's what they do on Sundays, it's what they do on Sunday nights, or it's what they do on Wednesday nights. This is just what they do, but their heart is not in it. Friends, that does not lead to us being a healthy church. So if we want to be a healthy church, it's not that we've just got all the right activity and we take the right stands and we take the right positions, but everything that we do needs to be motivated out of a love for the Lord and us trying to serve Him. It also needs to not ever be said of us that in an effort to reach more people, that we're willing to sacrifice and give on doctrines that would eventually lead to the destruction of the church. Most of you wouldn't be aware of this, but I'll just go ahead and reveal it to you, and I don't think it'll shock you. But over the years, I've been encouraged. Why don't you just not do this? Over the years, if you would just change this, you know what? If you would just do this, you'd have a whole lot more people coming to the church. And that may be. You may be able to drop this. You may be able to say, well, we're not going to worry about this. We may say, you know, okay, this will no longer be priority over here. And it may make a church larger. But it doesn't mean it's made the church healthier. And so what cannot be said of us is something like this. They were willing to sacrifice doctrine for the purpose of reaching more. They were willing to sacrifice doctrine for the purpose or for the the means of, of attracting more people. No, if I want to be a part of a healthy church and if you want to be a part of the healthy church, then what we have to be willing to say is this. Listen, doctrine is priority one. We're going to teach and preach and promote and propagate with boldness and with clarity the best we know how, the truth of God's word. If that allows us to grow, fantastic. And if it leaves us small compared to others, so be it. But we cannot compromise on the truth of doctrine for the purpose of getting more people inside the door. And if we want to be a church that is healthy, and if we want to be a church that is is what God would have us to be, then we have to have it said, not only do they keep the word and not deny his name and patiently endure, but it also needs to be said something like this. Well, I'll tell you what you can't say about the church, and that is this, that they refuse to deal with sin. Do you understand what people ought not be able to say about us? Is that they refuse to address sin. You know, if there's sin in their life, they're going to address it. If there's sin in their life, they're going to take care of it. You know, they're not a church down there that makes a lot of excuses for sin and overlooks sins and sweeps things under the rug. And that, that's just not the kind of church that they are. What, what needs to identify us and what needs to characterize us is, is the fact that we deal with sin.
It's not a popular word this day, these days, and, and it's not a popular approach to ministry these days to deal with sin. But if we want to be the right kind of church before God, then we have to be willing to say, this is sin, we're going to deal with it, we're going to address it, and, and we're going to try to correct it. It should never be said of us that we're not willing to deal with and confront the hard sins of a community and the hard sins of a culture and of a society. People should be able to say, that, that's not them. You, you can't say that about them. That kind of silence should be speaking volumes about us. I don't know exactly what your spirit was like last week when we left church. I don't know exactly what your thoughts and your attitude was like. I don't know if you thought leaving the church last week, man, our church isn't dead. It's not as bad as Brother Kyle said it was. Okay, listen, I don't know what you thought. and I don't, I don't know, and I'm not here to discuss it with everyone this morning. But I do know this. No matter what your opinion was of last week's message or how you received it and how you responded to it, I do know this, that if we really believe the church is healthy and the church is everything it's supposed to be, and if we say that that's what we want to be a part of and that's what we want to have here at this church, then I know these things need to be said, and these things ought not ever be said. It ought to be true of every one of us that we keep the word of the Lord that we do not deny his name and we are patient in whatever the affliction may be, the suffering may be that comes with honoring the word of God. But it should never be said of us that we're just going through the motions, that we're just playing church and that this is just a part of our religious activity. It should never be said of us that we will compromise doctrine for the sake of numbers and it should never, ever be said of us that we refuse to deal with sin. If any of those things, those last things can be said of us, then we will deserve whatever rebuke we get one day. So it's on us. What kind of letter we would receive, that would be on us. But we've got to remember this. God knows our works, and God knows exactly what's happening and taking place in this church. And so we've got to be willing to address it accordingly. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you'd help us as a church family to have a burden for a right report before you. God, as you were to look at our church today, as you...